Hi, and welcome. You are listening to Speeching It Real, a podcast where I interview speech language pathologists who are just starting out in the field, from undergrads who are interested in becoming SLPs to those who are currently practicing clinicians. We will cover it all, including current graduate students, people in clinical fellowship years, and everything in between. Here you can learn all about what it's like to get started, how paths change, and connect with people that are going through the same things you are. I'm your host, Christy Ubieta, and I'm currently a first-year grad student at CU Boulder. Quick disclaimer, all statements and opinions on this podcast are not reflections of the organizations or schools associated with the speakers. Each person's words reflect their own opinions, including my own. Hey guys, today we are joined by Shannon. She is a recent graduate of CU Boulder. This week, she started her CF in a home health pediatric setting, working with children with complex needs. She has a passion for working in acute care with children with hearing loss and conducting research. I am so excited, so let's just jump right into it. Hey guys, welcome back to Speeching It Real. Today I have on Shannon. She is a mentor for a lot of people in my cohort because she is a second year. Well, I guess now she's not a second year because she graduated, but she was a second year and we all aspire to be exactly like her because she is the absolute greatest queen ever. I'm putting her on the spot. This is going to be challenging. Am I? (laughs) (laughs) Hi, everybody. Um, I am Shannon Robinson. I am now a CF, a clinical fellow in speech language pathology. I'll be working in the home health pediatric setting. Um, I am from Detroit, Michigan, and I came to CU Boulder as a chancellor's fellow. I do a lot of research regarding Black English uh, and kind of its impacts on college students. Um, And in the future, I hope to do a lot more research on kind of public health and disparities in speech pathology. How did you get into the speech space? So funny enough story, um, I actually had no idea what speech therapy was. And then when I was a freshman in college, I started having seizures. And so from a really bad seizure that I had, it left me with what they thought was a transient type of aphasia. After, After it happened, several other times they realized it actually had to do with my epilepsy. So it's Mm. more of an epileptic aphasia and it was more of like an expressive aphasia situation. Um, And so I have like quite a bit of anomia and I have other problems kind of just like with speech sounds. And so I ended up seeing a speech pathologist for the first time at 18 or 19, actually 19. So you were in school already? Yep. I was genetic biology pre-med on a neuroscience track. I wanted to be a neurosurgeon since I was seven. I switched paths when I found out what my speech therapist does or did, and I loved it so much that I decided I was going to be one. So now I'm here. I love that. Did you change your path while in undergrad? Yep. Like you were able to do the communication sciences and disorders right away. Yeah. So I changed my sophomore year of undergrad. So I was a five-year undergrad um, and I did my undergrad at Western Michigan University. Go Broncos. (laughs) Um, And I went straight through their speech pathology and audiology undergrad. So actually um, I went to my first like speech class, the intro to speech or whatever it was. I found out that I really loved audiology 
And so I teetered back and forth on which one I wanted to do up until grad school applications. And then I decided to continue my path in speech because it just was really personally salient. And I know that because of what I went through, I could kind of relate to other people in a similar situation. Definitely. You have been a mentor, like I mentioned at the top, to a lot of people in our program. What are some of the things that people have asked you that you think would resonate with different people from different universities? I think people have asked me like a lot about like the grad school to working space now that Mm -hmm. I'm in that transition. Um, And I would say take everything as it comes and take every opportunity while you're in grad school because you never know like what might spark a new interest. For example, I was never interested in pediatric feeding and now it's my jam. I really, really enjoy doing it. And so just taking opportunities as they came, I was able to find that out, which it would have been a really big missed opportunity to get into the workplace and never know that I actually really like doing that. Um, I've gotten questions definitely about studying and about courses. And I think that finding a way that's works for you for studying is important. So whether it's a study group, whether it's individually studying, whether it's teaching to others, I'm someone who I I needed to teach the information in order to retain it. And so a lot of times I would like try to host study groups or try to study with others where I could teach them the information Mm -hmm. because that reinforced that I knew what I was talking about. Balance in grad school, which I think looks a lot different for everyone. You know, some people are working several jobs and being in grad school. Some people have interesting family situations going on and are being in grad school. And I think that like knowing what you're juggling and knowing what you can handle is really, really, really important and asking for help when you can't. No one's going to know you're struggling or know that you need help if you don't ask. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's like a really humbling situation and really hard for people but like asking for help whether that's through a therapist whether that's telling your professor what's going on like if if you had a really bad day and you're having a horrible horrible and you're in a really bad mental space ask for the mental health day the worst they can say is no and then then you might need to see a therapist so they can get you the mental health day but <laughs> you know i I definitely think that therapy helped a lot through grad school, but just like take some time to figure out what you can handle in the space that you're in and meet yourself with grace Mm -hmm. in that space. So what are some of the resources that you used that maybe your university offered or that maybe your friendships offered to help you feel that support? I think so for me, I belong to a church and I think my faith community was really, really important for me. I also think that like, my friends and I would have like trauma dump nights (laughs) where we all would be in a space where we just needed to let it all out. And we would go in a circle over lots of wine and we would just trauma dump and cry it out until it was done. And we would close the book and never talk about it again. And that really, really worked for a lot of us. Um, Just having someone meet us in the space, not offer advice, just listen and move on like it never happened it was really really nice it was a great bonding experience um i do have the privilege of having a private therapist um and so just acknowledging the fact that that is a privilege and i did go to therapy quite often during grad school 
I know C Boulder offers caps mm-hmm. and like the caps program is there. Yeah. But I would say like find community in whatever way fulfills you. So I found a lot of different pieces that were able to help fulfill me. Also working out and eating. Feeding yourself is always good. Yeah. Feeding myself. <laughs> trying new recipes i learned how to make pasta but yeah i think that like my resources i i have a great network of support Mm -hmm. and i can acknowledge that that's a privilege because not everybody has that and so finding support in the ways that you can is important Mm -hmm. you have been a big support to a lot of people like i've said i feel like i've said that a hundred times here but (laughs) you have been an extremely big support to a lot of people in our cohort because of the realness that comes with advocating for yourself what are some of those ways that you found a voice for yourself the way that you helped advocate let's just shout out my mom really quickly because (laughs) I think that's part of the reason that I have such a strong voice is like having that family support at home that I know no matter what they're in my corner but also I think that like some interesting things happened in grad school and I realized that if I was feeling these emotions, somebody else would, and I didn't want anyone else to feel those emotions. Hmm. So just buckling down and saying like, hey, I had these questions. I did not know how internships worked. I did not know that there could be clinic placements that I said, "Mm, not so sure about that one. I don't think I want to do that clinic placement. And when I found those things out, telling other people was my way of paying it forward Mm -hmm. because I don't think that other people should have to struggle through something. Like, the struggle of grad school should not be real. Like, we should all be helping each other out through the process because that's the whole point of making something more accessible for people. And I want things to be more accessible, especially for people who don't fit the traditional mold of what a speech pathologist traditionally is Mm -hmm. because that's what the field caters to. I agree with everything that you're saying. That's kind of one of the things that I'm trying to put out here is how do we – break down these barriers? How do we continue to communicate about things that keep being gatekeeped? So let's break through some of that. I want to start with some of the internship things. So schools all over the U.S. talk about, and by the way, we're going to get into the praxis. That's the main point of this episode. (laughs) But I do want to ask about a couple of little things before. When it comes to internships, schools always have these, like, these are certain things that you have to do. They might say you have to do a school. They might say that you have to do a medical placement. They might say any of those things or that you have to do 12 weeks somewhere or eight weeks somewhere. What are ways that you think you could modify and still fit some of those requirements? So for people to bring those conversations up. I definitely would say kind of like look at what your state requires for licensure. One, make sure that you know, like, what's required of you on the state level and, like, on the national level for ASHA, because that's the whole point of your graduate program is to put you on the course to be successful for licensure, as well as to get your C's at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, And so knowing that the state of Colorado wants the equivalent of eight weeks with a pediatric population, because it doesn't say whether it's private or public school. I just want to put that out there. They just say pediatric population, the equivalent of eight weeks. They want you in that setting for CDE licensure, um, which is just the Department of Education, not the provisional license. So you could work in a hospital and you could work in a private practice and you could work in, I'm missing something, home health 
So private practice, home health hospital, you could work with those pediatric populations without that school-based internship. They just want it for the Colorado Department of Education license, which is outside of the provisional speech pathologist. And so knowing that, if you're not interested in going into schools, I was never going into a school. So like knowing that you don't need that, putting it out there and saying like, I understand your concern. I understand that you want to prepare us in a position where we could work in several settings. I am a hundred percent sure that the school setting is not for me. Here's my plan of action. Can we meet in the middle? Because you're still getting those hours with the pediatric population. You're still getting those diverse experiences. But if you didn't come into this to be a school speech pathologist, you didn't come into it to be one. Mm-hmm. Same thing with medical settings. For all of our people out there who don't like bodily fluids, do not put yourself in a position where you're in a hospital and you're freaking out during your internship because it's hard. It is a hard setting to be in and you have to have thick skin and a very strong stomach. And so if you know that that's not necessarily you, make sure that you voice that because mm-hmm. don't put yourself in a position to fail. Yeah. Do not do that to yourself. So one of the things we hear a lot, especially when you're first starting out in grad school, oh my gosh, I know nothing. You're not, you're not at the end, you know, you're, you're not in, you're not in the thick of it yet, but do you have anything that you would want to say to people that are thinking that way? I'm never going to get through this. (laughs) I I know nothing. I promise you're going to get through it. (laughs) I don't make promises lightly, but I pinky promise you will make it through it. If you put your mind to making it through the grad school program, Um, there are a lot of sacrifices and there are a lot of hard moments, but you have to keep pushing. I'm not someone who lies to people. I decided my, after my first year, I kind of wanted to leave. I didn't want to do it anymore. I decided to push through and it's the best decision I've ever made. So if Mm -hmm. you're in that point where you don't know if you want to do this and you are just on the edge because it's hard and it's tiring and you've gotten no sleep and you are just physically and emotionally exhausted, push through it. Find those supports that I talked about before and like try to push through it. Now the knowing everything and knowing nothing, I will say I knew more than when I started. Like I know more now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this might be a little hot take, but grad school prepares you to be a generalist in the real world. You're never going to be one. So yeah, you have to, you know, learn these things to be a generalist, especially to take the praxis. You need to know these general topics, but in the real world, you can't do everything. You don't see people regularly working in a school full time and then going on the weekends and doing adult neuro rehab. Now that those are niche things that you could, but like, there's no way to know everything. You're not Mm going to know everything about every disorder. You're not going to know everything about every diagnosis you won't know how to treat some kids when you walk in sometimes. You might have to go back and look it up. (laughs) But in retrospect, grad school is just like giving you the building blocks to put you in a good place when you start your career. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like I'm in that good place. Like starting my professional job, I feel like I know what's going on. Yeah. Which feels nice. And a part of that is contributed also to getting in the field with your internships. Yes. Yeah. The internships will make you feel so much better. Like I gained so much confidence in my clinical skills through my internships. Mm -hmm. And I ended up actually doing a school internship. I did a private school internship. And in that school internship, I gained so much confidence with working with kids that I just did not have in grad school. And then in my hospital internship, I just gained so much confidence as a person. Like 
knowing that I'm walking into this person's room and I'm in acute care, I'm in the ICU and this was the worst day of their life that they just had. And I'm going in to talk to them about their speech and their language. And I'm telling them like, Hey, you're in PO, like you can't have anything to eat or drink. And I'm breaking this hard news and having difficult conversations that gave me confidence because it was hard. And like, there are moments where I'm looking at someone's face and they're about to cry and I'm about to cry with them, Mm. you know, and kind of getting past that point and building like the clinical confidence is really, really important. And you will build it. Internships build character. (laughs) (laughs) Let's jump into just a quick couple of questions about CFY. What are some pieces of advice that you have for people who are applying to their CFY? So what are some factors that they should consider? That's the better way to do it. Okay, there are several factors that tie into any job search. And you should treat your CF as any job search. You need to understand kind of what is the minimum amount of money that you're willing to make. What benefits do you need? For example, I know that I'm about to turn 26. I need health insurance. You know, that might not be something that other people are really worried about if they're on their parents' health insurance. Um, Continuing education requirements, that's another benefit. Like, are they paying for them? Are you paying for them? Because that influences how much money you need to make. Cost of living or environment that you're living in. Are you willing to move out of state? Are you staying in state? What is the cost of living in your state? What are other CFs making in that state? really kind of like trying to build a comprehensive picture of what you need to survive in your CF. Setting. Setting is important. So what do, what setting do you want to work in? What setting are you willing to compromise to work in to build up to the setting you want to work in? Eventually, I would love to be back in acute care. Acute care fellowships are extremely competitive. They also don't pay very well. Hot take. But... I I'll take our new pieces of information we're learning. Uh, a little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell anyone. <laughs> but, you know, they don't pay very well. And so knowing that I needed to make a certain amount of money, I wanted to stay in Colorado. I wanted to have certain benefits and perks of a job. And I also know where I want to be in the future. Kind of putting those pieces together to figure it out. So, like, let me backtrack here. If you have your big picture and your big picture is you want to own your own private practice, a great CF might be working in a private practice because you can learn the tips and tricks of the trade. But if you know your end of, you know, your end goal is to work in adult acute care, a skilled nursing facility, a long-term acute facility or home health with adults might be a better option to get you towards that end goal. So I think with CFs, you should be thinking about, Where can I be now and where do I want to be in the future? And how do those two things relate? And also make sure you choose a CF that you can be happy in. You shouldn't be unhappy. Like you should be paid for what you're doing. You should be adequately compensated for your skills. Mm -hmm. And then also you should be happy and you should feel supported because the whole point of a CF here is for someone to support you. Someone is actually being paid more a lot of times to support you. So you should have a supervisor that you at least vibe with. That's fair. You, you're you interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you yes. when you're first going through the process because what you need out of this is a lot more than what they need out of it. 
So you need to <laughs> feel good about it. Yes, you need to feel good about it. And also you just need to kind of be realistic with the support you need, mm-hmm. which a lot of that is learned in internships. Like I learned what style of feedback that I like best. I learned what support I needed going forward. Knowing the amount of support you need is important when trying to find a CF and a CF mentor. Now, I will preface this and say like every single state has different requirements for the licensure for CFs. And so sometimes you have to find your mentor before even applying for like a license in the state. So that's also something that you should know going into the process is like when you're interviewing, interviewing earlier than when you actually need the job. Mm. Because don't put yourself like back yourself into a corner financially and then you're just like waiting it out to try to find a job or try to find a CF mentor and then you're waiting for licensure and then you look up and it's September and you're just now starting a CF Mm. when you were eligible to start one in May. Yeah. So keep in mind your timeline too. Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest thing about the CF process is be, be realistic. Like be realistic with what you need and what you want. And be realistic on the fact that you're going to have to compromise. It's kind of like that 80-20 relationship rule. Find 80% of the things you need in a CF. And as long as the 20% that you don't really like is not breaking any non-negotiables, I would say go for it. Love it. And I've never heard that for relationship. So we'll circle back on that. But I have 100%, so I'm good. I mean, <laughs> you're living the dream. Okay. <laughs> not kidding. Shout I out love to Marco. Marco. <laughs> He's going to listen and say, Marco, this one's for you. Um, Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the big, bad, scary. And it's only the big, bad, scary right now because I'm thinking about it. And no, I'm not talking about the MBS IMP, which is also the big, bad, scary. But this big, bad, scary is the Praxis. The big one. (sighs) Tell me. What does it look like? (laughs) So, okay. I would think that, like, the praxis is the big, bad, scary for some more than others. I think that everyone listening to this, if you have not taken your praxis, you need to take a deep breath. Because because (laughs) it will be okay. It will be okay. You will be a speech-language pathologist, or if we have any audiologists listening, you will be an audiologist. The praxis is, it consists of mostly case study questions. So it's actually all of the information that you're learning in grad school. It's just put into a case study question. And so sometimes it might say like, Johnny is a 10 year old boy and he says top instead of stop. What phonological process is he using? Constant cluster reduction. (laughs) Yes. So like things like that. It's not meant to trick you. I think it just can be daunting because there are so many questions. But that's a question that you would get. And that's a question a lot of times you get in grad school. Like those are questions that you'll see on tests. They're just always in a case study format Mm. on the praxis. I think where it becomes the big bat scary is you're required to integrate a lot of knowledge at the same time. So you might have questions that integrate your knowledge of child language and speech disorders, but they also integrate cleft lip and palate and kind of like that resonance piece, or they integrate cleft lip, 
and swallowing. Mm-hmm. We're technically feeding for children. Mm-hmm. We'll be talking mm-hmm. about feeding. So kind of like looking at both of those things together, you need to know what the anatomy of cleft lip looks like without palate. And then you need to know why that would impact like suction for feeding or swallowing. That's where it becomes difficult. It's like all of those pieces of knowledge are coming together. But to make you feel better, that's what happens in the field. Yeah, that's I mean, yes, it's more common that there's multiple factors and multiple things contributing. Okay, I have so many more questions. Go for it. How many questions ish were on the practice? Or at least, you know what, that's a little bit extra. I think it's more 44, actually. Okay, because I was going to say, how long did it take? Or what's the time that they allot for? I think you get three hours to take it. Okay, so it's. Yes, you get. Better than a GRE? It's. I will say that this test was so much better than the GRE. <laughs> I also took that one. I wouldn't do that one again. <laughs> I would do my praxis over again if I had to, but there. The GRE? No, thank you. Um, so uh, I believe it was 144. Don't quote me. I can double check. But it's split across three sections. And so one is like your foundations for professional practice. That's going to be all your ethics questions. So ethics questions, questions about like, What's in the scope of practice for speech pathologists? Um, Questions about kind of like scope of practice for when you're treating children who don't speak the same language as you or evaluating children who don't speak the same language as you. Questions about what FERPA stands for and things like that, like or like what an IEP stands for. Those questions will be in that one section. They mix them up, but that is yes. a section. And then another section is like the screening and evaluation and assessment of different disorders. Mm-hmm. And then the other section has to do with treatment, diagnosis and treatment. Okay. And so you have an equal number of questions from all of those sections that like lead to your main score. Mm-hmm. Do not skip questions on the praxis. I might be like skipping ahead here, but do not skip any questions because you don't get penalized for anything you get wrong. There's like a certain number of points you get for getting things right. So you might as well guess. Okay. Do not skip questions. Okay. Good advice. Yes. Or if you skip them, just make sure you have time to go back. Yep. Yeah. How did you study for the praxis? And Maybe even how long did you study for? I'm so scared that I'm like, I need to do this for six months. You do Every not. Friday. You <laughs> do not need to do this for six months. I studied for two weeks before. <laughs> like, Okay, but guys, I, mind you, she's also a genius. I'm not. She is such a genius. I can't, I can't trust her. I'm not. I'm not a genius. I studied. So let me preface this. I was so freaked out about the praxis that in the fall of my second year there was a prep course through in basla which is like the national black association for speech language pathologists Mm -hmm. um that i took and i think it was really good for refreshing the things that i needed for undergrad but i don't feel like because of the university i went to i don't feel like i needed to do it i think that cu actually really prepared me for the praxis the tests that i had the questions that i had were very similar to the information I actually did learn in my courses. I think that like the prep course would be great if you're iffy on if like 
what your professors are teaching you is going to align with what you need. I will say CU has a hundred percent pass rate for the praxis. So like kind of taking that into account, um, I don't think that the class was worth it for me, but it is a great resource. So that's one. Okay. I did that. And then after that, I didn't take my praxis like I should have. I should have just taken it right then and there after <laughs> reviewing the stuff for three days, sun up to sundown. Mm. Um, I just was like heading to internships and Christmas break came and I just, I let it fall by the wayside. So then spring came and CU requires us to take it before we graduate. Not every school is like that, but ours is. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll study. So I compiled a bunch of like materials, especially on things that I am weakest on. There are some things that you're just not going to be great at. Not everyone's going to be great at it. So I compiled those things and I really started reviewing those for a couple of days. And then I took a practice test. Um, and I used that like advanced review of speech language pathology practice test book. Um, I took it online and I ended up passing the practice test, but like, not really. It was not by much. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of looked at what I got wrong on that practice test and I studied that, those sections of it, making sure that I just like really clearly focused on those sections that I did poorly on. So like, surprise, surprise, some things about child language. I needed to study those and I'm glad I did. Mm -hmm. So just knowing that like that's an option. Also, there are like really great Quizlets out there. I believe that. There are great Quizlets. Just search Praxis Quizlet. Perfect. SLP Praxis Quizlet or like SLP Praxis May. Like, <laughs> and there will be really, really great Quizlets that people have made throughout their studying. Don't reinvent the wheel. That's mm -hmm. the number one thing I have to say. I spent time trying to do that at one point and like don't reinvent the wheel because a lot of those questions that are on those quizlets are taken directly from that advanced review of speech language pathology book which i do acknowledge that it's a privilege to be able to even get that service because it is expensive you don't have to pay for anything go online and start reviewing those questions okay and then fact check them because not everybody is going to think the same way you do. So some people might think the answer is one thing and you might think it's a different thing. Fact check the Quizlets. Go back and like make sure that if you're not comfortable with cleft palate and cleft lip that you're looking at why the answer is the answer to that question. Okay. This might be an obvious question, but for our listeners, it's, it's for you guys. Is the whole thing multiple choice? Yes and no. It's like multiple choice and select all that apply. Okay. And then there were some drag and drops. So like if I asked you what the sections for a soap note are, oh, they might want you to know that and drag and drop it. Like there's no writing. No writing. <laughs> but it is multiple choice, select all that apply, and like sometimes putting things into categories. I will say. You can't know everything on the Praxis. Like, there were questions that I had for my undergrad program. On I will say, like, you can't possibly know everything on the Praxis. Like, I got a speech sound question that I would have learned my third year of undergrad. Mm. But, you know, like, it's okay because at the end of the day, that one question didn't make or break me. So Fair. understanding that if there are some things that you don't know, it's not going to make or break you. 
just take it with a grain of salt. Like, don't be defeated by the questions. Don't let the questions defeat you. If you don't know something, flag it, move on, because you want to have enough time at the end to make sure you can review. Got it. So I've heard that you can take it in person or online. Yeah, you can do You either. can do both. Okay. You can take it in person at a testing center or you can take it online at home. Um, it does use ProctorU, so it's just kind of like that GRE system, mm-hmm. kind of making sure you have an actual desk. You have to have bare walls. They want to see everything, like everything. They looked in my drawers, whole nine yards. <laughs> my word. Just to make sure that like I didn't have materials places. Um, I wanted to take it in the comfort of my home because I think that other people being near me would have just given me more anxiety and I don't have like the test accommodations for the test to say that I can have a room alone and Mm -hmm. so taking it home was kind of like an advantage for me in that way of knowing that I needed to not be distracted by other people clicking and stuff like that I will say if you need accommodations if you receive accommodations through your university or you know that you're going to need them be very explicit and go to the GRE website, or not GRE, <laughs> it's the same website, the ETS website, mm. um, but go to the Praxis website and click where it has accommodations and see what paperwork that you need and submit that early. Submit it so early because I wasn't even allowed to move my mouth while I was taking my test. So like I'm sitting there taking my Praxis, reading the questions And I had my test stopped and they told me I wasn't allowed to read out loud. So then I stopped reading out loud and I start mouthing. And she's like, I'm sorry, ma'am, you can't mouth either. So then I'm here holding my lips together, like just holding them together and kind of like biting the insides of my lips so that I can like read without reading because you can't read out loud. That's wild. Yeah. So like if you know that you need to do that for reading comprehension, that's something that an accommodation would directly need to be made for. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I wonder if you could, I wonder if you could do that when you're in person. Like, I guess you wouldn't be reading it out loud, but you might be mouthing it. Yeah. I'm, and I'm not sure for the in-person test. Mm. I know that there are direct proctors like standing in front of you while you take a test too. So or like sitting in the room and there's like cameras everywhere. Okay, there's metal yeah. detectors. You have to do like the whole nine yards. Yeah, yeah. You know? I did that for the jury. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> so I will say like for me, I'd rather someone stare at me through my computer than in person. Mm. That's kind of creepy. So I so chose to You can to watch back later. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, wow. liked it. I liked it at home. I did enjoy my test at home. Wow. That's – I didn't realize it was so – intense like that if, when if you do it on the computer and then also it is a three-hour test mm-hmm. you don't have a scheduled break so if you do need to take a break and you don't have accommodations you have to use you know that bathroom break let your proctor know but then they have to restart the entire process of checking in and checking your surroundings and everything which is a long process it takes like 10 to 15 minutes and your timer does not stop for your test oh wow so, and you can't have water either. So you I was literally about to ask about the water. No. So you don't have water during your test and you can't use the bathroom unless you're willing to take the time to do the recheck and process or if you have accommodations. So if you need those accommodations, make sure that you talk to your doctor, your therapist, talk to the people you need to talk to, the university, 
to fill out the forms for those accommodations so that you can have a scheduled break or scheduled bathroom break or read aloud or maybe not read aloud, but like mouth aloud or, you know, have water in the vicinity. And those accommodations take a long time, prefacing that again. So make sure that you fill it out early. That's a lot. Are there any other little niche things like that that you can remember about it, about the process? Oh, yeah. So I have like, I have an iMac at home, like a desktop iMac. Okay. And I couldn't pick it up to move it around the room. Oh, no. So I actually had to take my phone and I had to flip it around with a camera and I had to show them using like my phone camera, my surroundings. And then I had to flip it around again and I had to take videos of everything. And then we went through the videos of me like holding the videos up. But you could have your phone. No. And this is like the niche part about it. Because then I sit back in my chair because I'm showing her the phone. And then she's like, please put your phone away where it's not in your view. So then I chuck my phone over my shoulder because I can't get back up out of my chair to like put it somewhere nicely. So I just like, I just throw it behind me. The drama. The drama. Because it's just like, if I get up. Everything starts all Everything over again. Everything kind of like starts all over again. Oh my goodness. So yeah, just threw behind me. Wow, these people are going deep. It's it's a deep thing. That is deep. I will also say the other like thing I didn't know about the praxis is for people who are having like financial difficulties taking the exam, you have a couple of different options. One, um, there is a way to get a waiver. I didn't qualify for the process. I know that there has to be like extreme circumstances in order for you to qualify, but I at least will go on to see if you do qualify Okay. for kind of a waiver for the praxis examination. What's the cost of the praxis? Let's just set that at the forefront. I have to double check. I'll look it it's up. It's in the you're... hundreds. It's a hundred something. They also offer pay in four. You can pay in four. 146. Yes, 146, and they will split it into four payments. Okay. Through like afterpay. Okay. Yeah, the praxis takes afterpay. We gotta love it. They should sign up for Klarna. Klarna? Klarna. Who knows? I see those signs all over. Free ad. (laughs) Klarna, circle back. Happy to work with you. PayPal, they accept you too. (laughs) Paying for. (laughs) Yeah, so there is like. That financial burden of taking the test, you Mm -hmm. only really want to take the test once because it's expensive. It's super expensive. Okay. So let's switch gears back into you unless there's anything else you wanted to mention about the Praxis. I would say with the Praxis, just be realistic with yourself. Okay. Like, be realistic and make a list of things that you just don't really feel comfortable with and things that you do you know more than you think you do that's the number one thing it's like you spent all of this time doing all of these exams having all of these clinic placements honestly might be another hot take but i feel like if you weren't prepared to take the praxis that's your school's fault and you should tell somebody because the things that you're learning are direct reflection of the things that you have learned so the things you're Mm -hmm. taking the test on you've seen them before Now, there will be some questions that are way out there about a syndrome you've never heard about. Study your syndromes. There's different syndromes that you should know about. Study those. That's good advice. 
Study up on the syndromes. Yeah, study up on the syndromes. Not just like CP, but like know the different types of CP. You'll learn this if you didn't already. But knowing kind of like which CP did the basal ganglia impact versus the cerebellum and like kind of knowing that in a case study. We can cut this. (laughs) No, this is important. But just knowing like... There's different types of CP or knowing kind of what DeJore syndrome is or what charge syndrome is um, or pure Robin sequence. That's an important one because somehow it surfaces on everyone's praxis. Okay. Kind of like knowing what some of the differences that go along with these syndromes are, okay. are important. Okay. That's good. That's good to know. Yeah. I think that's like... I think that's really it about the praxis. It, I I just promise you'll be okay. Just pay attention in class. All you first years out there who might listen to this, pay attention. All you second years, continue to pay attention. Because if you pay attention, you'll be just fine. Okay. That's I don't I say. don't know anyone who failed. That's good to know. That is good to know. I wouldn't say blow it off. Study for two weeks. Don't study for an extended period of time. You want to be able to keep the information that you're learning or like reviewing you want to retain it yeah so don't like cram don't study for six hours a day but i spend an hour a day maybe an hour a day reviewing some quizlets reviewing the things that i knew that i didn't know and then i did that for two weeks and took two practice tests and then i took my exam okay i'm not gonna lie i'm feeling a little nervous still but I feel like I have a strategy now to start studying when I'm ready to study. Yeah, and I will tell you, like, you should not, if there's nothing else you listen to, listen to this. You should not take your praxis before your coursework is done. Your coursework needs to be done before you take your praxis. Mm -hmm. I specifically didn't take my praxis until I was within my medical internship because I knew there would be things about swallowing that I didn't fully understand before my internship. And my internship was one that gave me a lot of background on that. And I saw things on my exam that I was directly seeing in my hospital setting. Wow. So that was part of the reason I didn't take mine until the middle of internships but no matter what, do not take the test before you finish your coursework. Because okay. Because you need all of that. Okay. Okay. That's good stuff. That's good. So then, like I said before, let's turn a little bit back to you. Now, this is just some fun stuff. Okay. What is your dream job if you could handpick it? Okay. In every single space, every capacity, what could you make it? Okay. If I could talk about like my dream job in the way future, I would have already received my PhD and I would be working at a university, um, preferably a major university. I wouldn't mind an Ivy, but I would love to start an aphasia program close to what Craig Hospital or University of Michigan currently have or, um, you do intensive aphasia therapy using intensive language action therapy. I would love to do that. That would be like my dream job of like kind of like running an aphasia program for a university um, or in conjunction with a university hospital. So offering opportunities for graduate students to come and learn, but ultimately running it 
with people with their C's. Okay. Yeah. That sounds good. That sounds really good. So, as I've mentioned again, like hundreds of times on this podcast, you have been a mentor to a lot of people in our program, specifically my cohort. How, not just how, but would you first, would you be interested in continuing that type of mentorship moving forward in some capacity? Oh, yes. So I've actually been a mentor since I started college. I've been a mentor since my second year of college um, in some capacity, mentoring first years or kind of being, being a mentor in the honors college. I love mentorship because I I think I said this earlier, but I don't think that something should be hard for someone else just because it was hard for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that paying it for it is part of the reason why things become easier for other students or other students feel more supported. And so 100%, like throughout my lifetime, I want to make sure that I'm being a mentor. And I also have to recognize that I have really strong mentors in my life that give me the position to be a mentor. Mm -hmm. And so if I could do that for someone else, then like, that just makes my world happy and bright. I love to hear that. I think that your voice and the way that you speak about things and the honesty behind it is going to help people moving forward for sure. Thanks. Absolutely. If you could do research in any area, because I know that you have like a little bit of an interest in that and you have been working a lot, especially with the black community and the voices that you're uplifting there, what kind of research would you want to be doing? And then also what research are you doing now, if any? So uh, the research that I would want to be doing in the long run, um, I'm actually about to apply to PhD programs. Hush, hush. Are you going to do clinical or are you going to do research-based? I imagine um, research-based. I actually am looking at programs in public health, public policy. Okay. So PhD programs in public health, public policy. Got it. So if I could do my dream research – my dream research would definitely be working with people with swallowing disorders. Um, I'm really interested in what happens when we m- choose to modify diets in the hospital setting or in the acute care setting and why there's so much loss to carry over. Like there's no carryover of our modified diets. A lot of times when people go back out into the world. So how could we make it more accessible when we're trying to modify these diets? And also, how do we make sure that people are able to have services to help them modify the diet? Mm -hmm. So an example is like, if I try to put somebody on a puree diet, a level four diet, but they're dealing with housing insecurity, they're not going to be able to puree their foods. Or if I put somebody on a level five minced and moist, and then they don't qualify for home health services, who's helping them modify this diet. And so I'm really interested in kind of those healthcare disparities and the gaps and how we fill those gaps for people who need the gaps filled to make sure that they're able to maintain this modified diet. And I think if I was able to kind of do research about carryover and loss to follow up for outpatient services for people who are underserved or who don't have great insurance coverage, we might be able to change some laws and get people more coverage, especially for home health services. Okay. So that's like my like dream research, I guess, would be like that public health, public policy. Because as speech pathologists, we work on the micro level and I'm interested in working on the micro level, but I'm really interested in, in the macro level and in systems to make this feel more efficient and make services more accessible to clients. 
Um, right now, I am kind of in the middle of working on a research project with Dr. Hilger over at CU, and we are going to be launching it soon. But it has a lot to do with um, looking at perceptions of dysarthria in African American English speakers and non African American English speakers. And that's all I can really say until we launch it. But stay tuned. I'll make sure I send it over to Christy. Yes, I would love that. I'll put it out there for sure. It's going to be exciting. <laughs> might change some things, shake some things up as we know it. So. Okay. Okay. So on this pod, we love to ask our fun little wrap-up question. What is your favorite movie, book, or TV series that you go to when you need a mood boost? The Parent Trap. Lindsay oh, my Lohan. gosh. Lindsay Lohan version. Oh. 110%. Oh. Oh, I love it's it. It's going to be the parent trap every single time. Okay. If I need a mood boost. Um, if I also need a really good laugh, White Chicks. Oh. I love that yes. movie. I can recite every line. <laughs> <laughs> I could probably reenact the dance scene for you. That's how I feel about Shrek. <laughs> yes. Yes. One, two, or three. Every single one. Okay, because I'm like, there's only a right there's answer. there's also here. a four ever after. But it's not as good. It's not as good as, not as one, good. two, and three. But one, two, and three rock my world. That's true. And then book. Ah, uh, can it be a children's book? Absolutely, whatever you want, girl. Okay, Eric Carl Brown Bear Brown Bear will always put me in a good mood because my mom read that to me like every night when I was oh, a kid. Oh, that's how I feel about the "I Love You Forever" one. Yes. Okay, and our last one is where can our listeners find you? Ah. Okay, so you can find me on LinkedIn at Shannon Elise Robinson. You can just type that in on LinkedIn and I'll be there. Um, and then also you can find me on Instagram at, at S-E-L-I-S-E-R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N. So it's S. Elise Robinson. Excellent. And I will tag both of those down below in the show notes. Super duper huge thanks to Shannon for coming on, giving us so much advice and setting up future SLPs for such a good successful career no problem thank you for having me and like if you're listening to this and you have questions comments concerns I'm someone who will be honest with you so go ahead and just send me a dm it's true I think that's why she's just the one that we all go to honesty compassion reality sweetness that's Shannon Alrighty, guys thank you so so very much for coming on and listening today we will be back next Wednesday and we will chat soon. Thank you all so much for listening to Speeching It Real. You can contact me anytime at speechingitreal at gmail.com. Come to me with any questions you want answered, people you'd like me to interview, or any suggestions. 